Okay, good. Happy Mom's Day to all mommy. Today's scripture reading is uh, from the book of Proverbs chapter 31, verses uh, 10 to 31. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm. All the days of her life, she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provided, provides food for her household and portions of her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. Within the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed covering for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruits of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. This is the work of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, thank you, Bang. And let me get that pulled up. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Mothers, uh, both biological and spiritual, you are such a blessing to our world and to our church. And we're so thankful for all of you. Um, I'm so thankful for the moms in my life, for my mom, for Justine. And, um, yeah, we just want to, again, say happy mother's day to you. We're so thankful for all of you and all that you do for your family and the church and the, the city. Um, yeah, you're just an amazing blessing for us. And as you heard in our scripture reading today, we're looking at Proverbs 31, which is the classic Bible text describing the good wife and what she's like and what she does. And if you're a wife or a mom here with us today and you're like, come on, Eric, 
It's Mother's Day. Give us a break. Let's not talk about moms or wives right now. Don't worry. Since it's Mother's Day, we're not going to tell moms how to do a better job being a spouse or a mother. No, instead, what we're going to do today is we're actually going to talk to the husbands. Uh, we're going to look at what Proverbs 31 has to say about being a good husband. I don't know if you ever realized this before, but it actually has a lot to say about being a good husband. And hopefully by looking at how to be a good husband, we can encourage the moms and wives among us by helping their husbands do their role well. And uh, as we go through the passage today, if you have any questions, go ahead and send them in on Zoom chat to Colin. And after the sermon, he will uh, moderate a Q&A time so that we can dive more into the passage. But before we start looking at the passage itself, I, I just want to say, I realize when I say I'm doing a sermon on being a good husband, there may be some people who sort of tune out and stop paying attention because they're like, well, I'm not a husband. This doesn't apply to me. Or maybe they tune out because they're concerned about how much it's going to apply to them because they are husbands. But if you're a husband, I, I hope it's obvious how this sermon connects with you. But if you're not a husband, I just want to take a minute to show you why you should keep paying attention. So if you're a wife, does a sermon being aimed primarily towards husbands mean the wives can just tune out and take a break? No. Because if you're a wife, this is really important for you because husbands and wives make a team. It's really hard, not impossible, but really hard for him to do his job as a husband properly without your support, just like it's hard for you to do your job on the team without his support. So you as the wife, knowing what God calls your husband to be and do as a husband, hopefully will help you come up with new ideas for how you can encourage him and strengthen him and empower him in his calling as a husband. There's another group that may feel like this sermon doesn't apply to them, and that's singles, which would include our teens or any kids that are listening to this sermon as well. Uh, but first, if you're a single guy, this is really important for you because if you ever want to get married, I really hope living as a good husband is one of your goals when you get married. And so knowing what that looks like is going to help you in that goal. And as we'll see today, part of being a good husband actually starts before you become a husband. So you're getting a head start, which is really helpful. And if you're a single woman, this is the criteria for you to look for if and when you do get married. So listen up. And finally, I think we have at least one person, maybe more on this call who are single and committed to staying single. And I know you of all people may especially feel if that's your case, like this doesn't apply to me at all but it still does because as a church, we are a family. We're commanded to encourage and support one another. Your married brothers in the church need your help and encouragement and support to be the husbands God calls them to be. And so by understanding more clearly what it looks like for them to be the husbands God calls them to be, you'll be better equipped to love and support them as they try to do that. So even though this sermon, it's primarily aimed at husbands, it's about how to be a good husband. It actually applies to everyone. And so what we're going to see today is that a good husband helps his wife flourish. We'll look at four traits of a good husband and then a quick word for the overwhelmed. But before we dive into the passage, 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for moms. What a blessing they are to all of us and um, what joy they can bring to our lives and the care that they give to us. God, we, we thank you for this day where we can celebrate them. We also thank you for dads and husbands and this chance that we have to look at your word today and see what it has to teach the men among us about how to follow you and walk in obedience to you. And I pray that you would use this time to prepare us and equip us and empower us to, to be the people that you called us to be for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, we're looking at four traits of the good husband today. And this passage, it has a lot to say about what it looks like to be a good husband. Um, because of time, we're only going to look at four of those traits, but there are more. And what we're going to see about the good husband today is that the good husband searches for a good wife, trusts his wife, empowers his wife, and praises his wife. He searches for a good wife, he trusts his wife, he empowers his wife, and he praises his wife. So first up, he searches for her. And that first trait that he, he searches for a good wife, that actually comes from the first verse of today's passage. In verse 10, it says, an excellent wife, who can find? Now, the fact that an excellent wife needs to be found, as opposed to just appearing in front of us, carries with it the idea that a good husband actually starts his job before he becomes a husband. There's an expectation that a man who wants to be a good husband won't just settle for the first attractive girl who's willing to marry him. This man knows the important things to look for in a potential spouse. He, he screens potential candidates for future wife, wife through the right criteria. He doesn't just say, how attractive is she? How fun to be around is she? Yeah, those things are great. But he knows, as verse 30 of today's passage says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. It's not that they're bad, but it's that they, they won't necessarily last. They're not necessarily the best criteria to look for when looking for a spouse. And so this man instead looks at her character. The rest of verse 30, it says, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So this man who wants to be a good husband, he asks important questions about any girl he's thinking about as his potential future wife. Is she trustworthy? Is she hardworking? Is she the type of person I want to teach my future kids how to live life? Does she love Jesus? These are really important questions to think through when looking for a wife. So if you're here and you're single, listen up for a minute. If you want to have a good marriage and be a good spouse, an important first step in that process is being discerning in choosing who to marry. I'm not talking about setting impossibly high expectations that no real life human can reach but know what's important in a spouse and figure out how to look for those important things in potential partners. So look for character, not just charm. Develop character in yourself while you wait so that when you find that high character person, you'll be the type of person they're looking for too. And realize that getting the important things like character in a spouse may mean you have to pass up on other traits. Like you may not share every hobby you've ever had in your life with this person. That would be awesome, but it's not as important as finding someone of high character because finding the right person to marry is a huge first step in being a good spouse. And if you're here and you're married and you're like, Eric, I screwed up. 
I didn't do this. Now I'm stuck in a marriage with someone who's less than ideal. It's a little bit late for me and I've blown it. I want to say something to you quick too. First, remember that God is in control. You may feel like you made a mistake, but God had a reason for bringing you and your spouse together. When you two showed up together to get married, he wasn't shocked or surprised like, what are they doing? They're messing it all up. Oh no. No, it was part of his plan. He promises to work for the good of those who love him. And so even though your marriage may not be what you planned for or desired so far, God knows what he's doing by putting you in this situation and it's good. The second thing I want to say to you, if you're in this situation, is one of the awesome things about being human is that people change and grow. And as we'll see in a few minutes, part of the husband's job in marriage is to create an environment where his wife can grow and thrive and flourish. And maybe God put you in your spouse's life so that he can use your patience and love and care for your spouse to do amazing miracles in their life and actually give you that better marriage that you've always dreamed of with the person you're married to right now. And third, if you're the wife in this less than ideal marriage and you're like, well, that's the problem. My husband doesn't create that type of environment for me to to grow and thrive and, and do well. Well, yes, that will make it harder for you to thrive and flourish in many ways, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. Your tough marriage doesn't define you. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, it tells the story of a woman named Abigail. Have any of you ever heard of her? Abigail was married to a man who, by her own description, was a foolish and worthless man. That's a terrible marriage to be in. He offended King David so badly that David was on the verge of attacking his house and killing every man, uh, including servants that were in that house. And Abigail comes to David. She herself says to David, my husband is worthless. He is foolish, but she acts wisely and saves her household. The fact that her husband was worthless and foolish, it didn't define her. It didn't hold her back from acting valiantly for the good of her family and their servants and rescuing them, being a savior to them. And for you, if you're in a tough situation as a wife with a husband who maybe could be described as foolish and worthless, that doesn't have to hold you back from loving and serving others. It doesn't have to define you. It doesn't have to keep you from being wise and valiant. God can still use you despite the fact that your marriage isn't everything you wish that it was. But for those who aren't married yet, I strongly encourage you, start trying to be a good spouse before you get married by looking for the right things in a potential future spouse. Because it's possible to live a wise and virtuous life, a good life with a foolish and worthless spouse. It's far, far easier to live that good life with a spouse who encourages you and supports your efforts to live that way. So that's the first trait of a good husband that we see in this passage. He takes time to look for a good wife. The second thing we see is that the good husband trusts his wife and acts in a trustworthy way towards her. Do you see in verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her. Now remember, trust is a two-way thing. If, if a guy is married to a woman, woman who just has a tendency to leave important tasks undone, who's frivolous with the family's money, who says she's going to do things and then doesn't do them, he's not going to trust her and he shouldn't trust her, right? But it's possible, and 
I believe it's actually quite common in the world for there to be a marriage where the woman is entirely trustworthy and the husband refuses to trust her in certain areas because he wants to be the one in control in the marriage. And trusting her would give her some level of control that he wants to hold on to for himself. And so trust is a two-way thing. It requires one person, the one being trusted to act in a trustworthy way, but it also requires the other person to be willing to trust. And a healthy marriage is built on trust. And I realize we may probably don't think it's a big deal that this verse says a good husband trusts in his excellent wife. We just take it for granted, I think, in our world that trust is an important part of marriage. Is anyone who's like, oh man, that's shocking that trust would be an important part of marriage? No, we expect it because we know that that's important. But if you look in the context of the Bible, this is a shocking statement. If you look throughout the Bible, you know who trust is for? God alone. If you're reading in the Old Testament, and and probably the New Testament, I haven't searched thoroughly, but if you're reading in the Bible and you see that someone, anyone, puts their trust in something or someone other than God, here's how that story is going to end. It's not going to end well for that person, right? Just like you see someone trust in the strength of their army, or you see someone trust in their own skill at accomplishing something, it never ends well for them. And yet here, the husband trusts in his wife and it goes well for him. It says he trusts in her and he has no lack of gain. So if everywhere else in the Bible, trusting in someone or something other than God ends badly, why does it end well here? Why is this the one exception to the rule? It's because the wife is trustworthy. We see in verse 30 that she fears the Lord. She's wise. She's someone who can be counted on. And so the ideal, the good husband, he trusts his excellent wife. And it's not just that the ideal husband trusts his wife. He himself lives in a trustworthy way towards her. Look at verse 23. It says, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. The gates were where the leaders in the town would gather together to make decisions about the society and the laws and religious practice in the area. Her husband is known for being a man of upstanding character, a leader in his community, and associating with the leaders in his community. He's not known for frequenting strip clubs or brothels or for hanging out with gangsters. He's respected. He has a good reputation because he himself is a trustworthy person. Or look at verse 25. She laughs at the time to come. The Hebrew word for laughs here, it means she has a lack of concern for it. She's not worried about the future. She looks forward to the future. Now, I want you to think with me for a second. Do you know anyone? You don't have to nod your head or anything. Just think to yourself. Do you know anyone in an abusive marriage? Do you know anyone in a marriage where one of the spouses is an addict who's not fighting against their addiction, but just giving in wholeheartedly indulging in it? Do you know anyone in a loveless marriage? If you think about those people, do they, are they generally the type of people, the, the spouse who's being abused or struggling through their, their spouse's addiction, are they generally laughing at the time to come? Are they excited about the future? 
or do they fear and dread what they're going to find when they come home at the end of the day? Yes, there's an occasional Abigail out there who's able to be amazing in that context in a really tough marriage situation. But as a general rule, in order for the wife to laugh at the time to come, she needs a trustworthy and reliable husband. For the marriage to be the blessing that it can be, a good husband needs to trust his excellent wife and he needs to act in a trustworthy way towards her. So husbands, I have some questions for you. As you think about your marriage, do you trust your wife? What obstacles get in the way of you trusting your wife? Are, are many of those obstacles because of your own suspicion or desire for control? How can you build and develop trust with your wife? And when you are doing things, are you acting and living in a way that your wife can trust you, that you're being trustworthy? How can you show your wife love in the way that you treat her and act reliably towards her and your family? The good husband trusts his wife and acts in a trustworthy way towards her. That's the second thing we see in this passage. The third thing we see is that the good husband empowers his wife. Now this is in the passage and I'll show you where in just a second, but did you know the idea of empowering is actually built into the very title of husband? There's a word in English, husbandry. Have any of you heard that word before? One or two of us. So husbandry actually means cultivation. So the verb to husband something means to cultivate it. The job of a husband, not just in marriage, but in general, is to cultivate and nurture whatever is entrusted to him. So in agriculture, if you're, if you're going to husband something, it, it might be like a field or vineyard that you're in charge of making that field grow. But in marriage, it's your wife and your family. The job of a husband is to cultivate your wife, to help her grow into the person that God wants her to be. It's to empower her and give her a context in your marriage where she can flourish in her calling. And like I said, this is in the passage. Look at verse 16 with me. It says, she considers a field and buys it. Now I realize you're probably like, huh? What does that have to do with the husband empowering his wife? We all know plenty of couples where the woman's in charge of real estate decisions for the family. And on top of that, we probably all know several single women who own property on their own. But in Bible times, typically men were the ones who owned property, except in really rare special occasions. So for this ideal wife of Proverbs 31 to go out and consider a field and buy it, it means that her husband has given her the freedom, the resources, and the permission to do something that she wouldn't normally have been able to do in that world. He empowered her. Yes, this woman, she's a hardworking self-starter, and, and none of these things that she does in this passage will happen without her taking huge amounts of initiative. But some of the things she does would have been completely impossible if she had all the initiative in the world, but she didn't have a husband who supported her in how to use it. So the husband empowers his wife. He gives her the freedom and the resources and permission to do things that she wouldn't have been able to do otherwise in that world. And we see in the passage, the husband benefits 
from, from empowering his wife in this way. The field that she buys, it's planted as a vineyard, which can produce fruit or wine that the family can eat or drink or sell. By empowering his wife to do something she couldn't do on her own if he didn't help her, the man actually benefits himself. So husband, how can we empower our wives to be a blessing, both to our families and to the world around us? How can we give our wives the support to do things that will benefit our family or be good for our world? And realize that that doesn't necessarily mean that we put them in charge of buying real estate. Like if you're married to a woman who knows nothing about real estate, please don't put her in charge of single-handedly making real estate decisions for the family. That's not empowering her. It's putting a crushing burden on her. But think about how God has uniquely put you as a husband in a place where you can empower your wife. Maybe your wife wants to get a master's degree that will equip her to love and serve the people around you. And she's researched the programs available. She found one that you guys can afford. It seems like a great fit for what she wants to learn. And you look at it and you're like, I can see how this will be really worthwhile. I can, I can see how this is really going to benefit you and our family and the world around us and help you to be able to love and serve people. But maybe your wife is feeling a bit unsure about pursuing it and not sure if she should do it. How can you encourage her in that process? How can you empower her and help make it possible to do this thing that she's excited about and, and that will benefit you guys so much. Maybe it's something else. Maybe your wife feels God calling her to invest in the lives of other women in the church, adult or teenagers. How can you help make that possible for her? Maybe it means you watch the kids so that she has the time to do it. Maybe it's helping arrange childcare. Maybe it's some other way. How can you help empower her to be what God has called her to be, to do what God has called her to do? How can you give her the context in which she can flourish and thrive in everything that she's meant to be and do? And wives, if you're hearing this and you're like, yes, I have an area of life where I want my husband to do this for me. I have a request for you. Tell him. You know, of all the things this passage says about the good husband, it never mentions him being a mind reader. So by letting him know how you'd like his help and empowerment, you're actually empowering him to succeed in his job of empowering you. And I want to add one more comment about husbands empowering wives. Because guys, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of security in who you are as a man to be able to do this. There are a whole lot of guys out there who feel threatened or intimidated by a girl who's more educated than them or more successful than them or who earns more money than them. I, I have many highly educated, successful, single female friends who have said, it's so hard to find a husband because I, I just scare guys away by how successful I am. And men, if we empower our wives, like we're called to do here, they may end up more successful than us in some things. Many of our wives probably started more successful than us in the first place, but we're, we're going to be helping them to be more successful than us in even more ways. They may end up better educated than us. 
God may use them to make an impact on the world that we wish we could have made if, if only we had been able to. And I think a lot of guys probably feel this fear, even if they don't recognize a name for it, but a fear of my wife being more successful than me. And if, if we're afraid of our wives being more successful than us, we're not going to empower our wives to flourish and become the people that God calls them to be. If we're afraid of our wives being more successful than us, we're going to hold our wives back so that we can keep being the stronger, more successful, better educated one. But that's not how God calls husbands to love their wives. He calls us to empower our wives, to give them a context in which they can flourish and grow into the person that God wants them to be. And for us to do that, it requires incredible, incredible security in him. So guys, that's the third trait of the good husband that we see in Proverbs 31, that he empowers his wife. And then fourth, we see that the good husband praises his wife. We see this in verses 28 and 29. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Now, as a man, I realize it's often hard for men to express gratitude and appreciation and praise on this level. We like to just keep it inside and, and not be too expressive about our thankfulness and appreciation. But if you look at everything that the wife in this passage does, or just everything your real life wife does, it's hard. It can be exhausting. Like I think for, for most of us, if our schedule looked like the woman in this passage, her schedule, if our schedule looked like hers, we'd get crazy tired. We would want to stop and give up and not have to do this anymore. But being praised and recognized and appreciated makes such a difference in giving us the energy and strength that we need to keep going. You know, I was told once, I don't remember when or by who, never compare your wife with other women. Have any of you other husbands been told that before? No, I'm the only one who has given this advice. Okay. Well, if you've ever been given this advice, my guess would be as a general rule, I, I don't think I, to clarify, I don't think I was comparing my wife to another woman and someone stepped in and said, stop it. I think it was just preemptive advice. A general warning for you in life, if you don't do this, you'll be better off. And my guess is, as a general rule, if you listen to that advice and you don't compare your wife to other women, things go better in your marriage when you're not comparing your wife to other women. True? And my wife, my, my sorry, not my wife, my guess is if you ignore that advice and you start comparing your wife to other women, it probably causes some problems in your marriage. Am I right on that one? Yeah. But do you realize this husband in Proverbs 31 totally ignores that advice? Verse 29, it's all about him comparing his wife to other women. He's, he's completely ignoring this advice, and yet it doesn't get him into trouble. You know why not? Because every time this man compares his wife to other women, he comes to the same conclusion. 
my wife is the best. And by the way, he's wrong because my wife is the best. But husbands, can you imagine the encouragement it would give your wife if she just heard you say over and over again, I'm the luckiest man in the world because I'm married to you. There's no one else that's a better fit for me. And I realized there may be some men here who feel hesitant about praising their wives. Like I, you're not going to believe this. I once had someone basically tell me, Eric, have you met my wife? She's not the excellent wife described in this passage. She needs a lot of change. And I'm afraid that if I praise her and encourage you, like you're saying too right now, it will just inspire her to stay how she is. So I'm not going to do it. And if, if we have any guys here right now who are thinking that or feeling this way or anything along those lines, I have a couple things to say to you. First, remember what your job as a husband is to empower your wife to grow and thrive. If you're here as a husband and, and your wife, you're like, she is constantly falling short. She's constantly failing to get the job done. She's constantly unreliable. What are you doing as a husband to help shape an environment where she can grow and thrive? And by the way, I don't mean nagging her or constantly pointing out the things that she could do better. No one likes to be nagged. No one likes to be constantly, constantly reminded of their flaws and, and never praised for the good things they do. Constantly focusing on the negatives and nagging, it creates fertile ground for bitterness, not for growth and empowerment. So your job as a husband is to give your wife a context where she can grow. And if she's not growing, the first place to look in assigning blame is not to her and the job she's doing, but what's the context you're giving her to thrive and grow and flourish. Second, even if your wife does have lots and lots of areas where she's far less than ideal, there are still probably things that you can praise her for. Like, is, is your wife honest with you even when she knows that you'll be upset about it? Praise her for it. Does your wife care for your children? Praise her for it. Is she excelling in some type of career or other calling? If so, praise her for it. Even if she has lots of ways that she needs to grow, giving her specific and thoughtful and po positive feedback on the things she's doing well, communicates care and appreciation and tells her that you see not just the bad things, but the good things. Care and appreciation, those are the contexts in which your wife will actually be equipped to grow. I was reading one article this week and a writer said, a husband who withholds his praise yet expects praiseworthiness from his wife is like a gardener who withholds water until the plants grow. If you know anything about gardening, you would never do that. You need the water to make the plants grow. And in the same way, if you are a husband and you're like, I want to see so much change in my wife, start by praising her, give her the ingredients and the context so that she can grow. So husbands, how can you praise your wife? How can you let her know that you appreciate her and feel blessed to be married to her? You know, I, I had a conversation with Justine this week and I said, how do I do at praising you? And she gave me some feedback that I found helpful and thought maybe helpful for some of the other men on here too. So I'm going to share that feedback with you now. One of the things she said to me is she said, Eric, you know, you do a good job telling me generally that you love me and you appreciate me, but I would appreciate it 
if you could be more specific with your encouragement. Like if I spend a lot of time cleaning the apartment to say, wow, thanks for cleaning the apartment. You did a really good job. Being specific with our encouragement is really helpful for our wives. They, they love general encouragement from us. I'm sure if your wife is with you right now, she'll nod her head and say, I love when you encourage me generally. But they also love specific encouragement for the things they do that we recognize and pay close enough attention to give specific feedback. Hey, I appreciate the way that you dealt with our kid when he was being difficult earlier. I appreciate the work you did preparing dinner tonight. I appreciate the hard work you do to help pay the bills around our house. Whatever it is that your wife does specifically to contribute to the family. How can you praise her for that? How can you learn to pay closer attention to the things that she's doing so you can give that specific feedback? And I'm actually going to pause right now for about 30 seconds so that if, if you are with your wife, you can just turn to her and have a few seconds to tell her one specific thing that you appreciate her and, and practice this before we finish the sermon. I see lots of smiles and hugs. That seems positive. So we've seen four traits of the good husband. We see that he searches for an excellent wife, that he trusts in his wife and acts in a trustworthy way towards her, that he empowers his wife and he praises his wife. And we've seen some of the ways that we all fall short of being this ideal husband. So husbands, you can be honest on this. Are any of you feeling exhausted or beat down right now? Like, ah, I can't, I can't do it. I, that's too much. I don't see any hands. I don't know if that's because my internet is bad or because everyone feels okay about this. But if you're feeling that, even if you didn't put your hand up, I want you to recognize something. See, there's a delicate balance when it comes to biblical commands and teaching. The Bible, it teaches us to live in certain ways, not because God wants to make us miserable, not because God wants to make our lives hard. It actually teaches us to live in certain ways, anything it teaches us about how to live. It teaches us that because God designed the world, he knows how it works best, and he loves us, so he wants what's best for us. If we want the best life possible, we get it by obeying what the Bible teaches us about how to live and doing those things. These instructions and commands, they're not meant to be a burden to weigh us down. They're meant as a pathway to life. But at the same time, we can't do it on our own, right? There's no one here who can live up to the entire ideal of the good husband as we've looked at it today. If, if you look at the list we've just described and it feels like too much for you, there's a reason for that. And the reason is, it is too much for you. See, being a Christian, following Jesus, it's not about us getting our act together so we can be perfect and earn God's love. It's about God looking at us when we're a total mess and loving us and rescuing us from ourselves. The Bible actually, did you know the Bible describes God's relationship with us as the relationship of a husband and a wife? 
the Bible says God is the perfect husband. And like the good husband who searches for his wife, God came to search for us and find us. And finding us didn't just involve God signing up for a dating website or being set up on an awkward blind date. No, it involved him coming from heaven to earth in Jesus to seek a bride for himself. Did you know that God, the perfect husband, he treats us in a way that's completely trustworthy. He keeps all his promises to us, even when it costs him. He kept his promise to conquer the sin and death that destroy us, even though it meant Jesus had to die. Because of God's trustworthiness towards us, we can laugh at the time to come. God, he's the perfect husband who empowers us. The Bible says that when we trust in Jesus, God sends the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to empower us, to guide us in how to live properly. And God praises us. You, you probably are aware the Bible commands us to praise God, but did you know that the Bible says God praises us? Did you know that? I never learned this growing up, but look at Zephaniah 317. If you have your Bible with you, you can flip over to it. It's right a few pages before Matthew. Zephaniah 317. God, he's talking about his people, which at that time was Israel. Now it's the church. And look what it says in this verse. The Lord, your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Let me just read that for you again. The Lord, your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. You know what that means? It means when God looks at you, his first thought isn't, oh, what a screw up. Let me remind him of all the ways he's failed so he knows to keep an eye out for them in the future. No, despite all your faults and flaws and shortcomings and failures, God looks at you and he rejoices. He gets so excited that he can't hold in his excitement and he bursts out in a song because he's so excited that you are his people. And so if you want to grow as a husband, look at how God loves you. Every time you're tempted to complain, oh, my wife doesn't deserve my love or kindness right now. Remember how God was loving and kind to you when you didn't deserve it. Every time you're tempted to put yourself first and act in ways that hurt your wife, remember how God put you first and laid down his life for you. Every time you're tempted to withhold praise from your wife because she doesn't deserve it, remember how much less you deserve God's praise and yet how excited he is to shower you with that praise. As you see and understand and appreciate his love for you more clearly, it will transform you into a good husband. It'll take time but God won't give up on you because he's faithful. So yes, the calling for husbands, it's high. It's hard to live up to, but husbands, we can love our wives because God first loved us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you are the perfect husband. That when we struggle to love our wives or feel like they don't deserve our, our love or our kindness, we can look to you and see how much more 
abundant your love towards us was. God, I pray that you would give us hearts, that you would give the, the men here, the husbands here, hearts to love our wives, to praise them, to trust them, to empower them. And that as the people in the world around us look at us and they see the way that we love each other so differently than most couples do, that, that they would see the God behind it who's making it all possible. And they would trust in you as well. God, we thank you again for, for moms and what a blessing they are to our world and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, quick reminder, if you have any questions about the sermon, you can send them to Colin on Zoom chat. We'll give you a few seconds to send them in if you want to type them out now. Okay, I'm just waiting for some questions to come in. But while I'm waiting, I've got one question, Eric. Um, sure. Maybe for the single, single, single ladies and and men, is is there more than one person, or is does God have one special person for each of us that we must look for? Um, I I don't believe that there's um just one for any individual person. Like I think. I think that that generally if the the traits that make a good spouse are generally the traits of a maturing Christian as well. Um, and if we're obeying God's commands to love our neighbor as ourselves, we can make a marriage work with lots of different potential partners. Um, you know, some may be easier than others. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I think if, maybe I can put it this way. If there was the one and you married the wrong one, then the right solution would be get out of that marriage and, and go find the ones so that you can be in the right marriage. The Bible never, ever, ever presents that to us as, as the best option. What we see over and over and over again is God calling us to grow in our love for our spouse that you know, there's one pastor who says the way, you know, that they're the one for you is that they're the name on your marriage certificate. <laughs> um, yeah, I think God's call is not leave your spouse so you can find the right one. It's figure out how you and your spouse can grow together so that as the years go by, you're more and more becoming the right ones for each other. Even if you weren't so much at the start. Okay. All right. Thanks for that. Um, there's a, one question that's come in and it's about, uh, is the church planning to put together uh, a husband's spiritual group or a wife's connect group so that they can get together, I guess? Um, that is a fantastic idea. Uh, we don't currently have any plans in the works for that, but if there's interest in that, then we would definitely do it. Um, if you are if that's something you would be interested in, um, then you can let one of the elders know that's me or Colin or less. And if there is interest in something like that, we would love Ooh. to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. currently we don't have any plans for it. 
Okay. All right. Any more questions? Uh, there's a question about the empowering your wife. Yeah. And does that mean saying yes to everything and uh, providing money for everything that she might want to do? I don't think so. I mean, if you think yeah. about if you think about that idea of of cultivating, right? You're like if if instead of the marriage picture, you're using the garden as a picture. To have the garden, whether it's a flower garden or a vegetable garden, to have the garden grow the way that it's it's going to be what it's supposed to be, you need to have a focus on what are the priorities. Um, you know, you don't you don't just let plants grow wild everywhere. You focus on the plants that you want and you pull out weeds. Even sometimes the weeds are really pretty in and of themselves, but they're going to take up nutrients from the plants that are supposed to be in the garden. And so you need to pick them out and to have the garden grow into what it's supposed to be. You need a clear picture of what the garden is supposed to be. And so I think, you know, that's, that's part of, the job of a couple is, is figure out what, what are we going to prioritize in our lives and in our marriage and how do we remove distractions so that we can put the greatest emphasis on the most important things. And so I think, you know, sometimes empowering your spouse to, to do the most important things may, may actually mean when they come to you with other ideas and needing money for other stuff, just not just shutting them down and saying no, but having the conversation to, to remember together, like what is the thing that we want to be working towards? And, and is this helping us towards that? Or is this a distraction from that? That's going to actually slow that down. Is this, is this one of the primary plants that we want growing in our garden? Or is this a weed that's going to take away nutrients and resources from the important stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, of course, the marriage is a partnership, right? It's not, mm-hmm. it's not the husband as a benefactor just saying, go for it. <laughs> so, no, 